Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlton and your host today. I'm neurotypical, which means I'm not autistic, but I've spent my entire life in relationships loving people who are autistic. Moreover, I've spent the majority of my career educating about autism and helping couples bridge the gap in neurodiverse relationships. But this podcast is for you. It's a place to talk with me, to share your struggles, talk to me about your wins, your challenges, your victories, and also hear from other professionals who really get it and understand you. So what will we talk about today? Hello and welcome. If you missed last week's episode, be sure and go back and listen to that. It's part one of my interview with Matt and Jen, who are a neurodiverse couple. Matt is autistic, and uh, they talk about their their struggle when they how, how much they were struggling when they first realized that Matt was autistic, and their journey since. It's a fantastic interview. Last week was part one. Part two will be in another few weeks. So go back and listen to that. And if you're not subscribed, be sure and subscribe. Uh, we're pushing this podcast out to all the major platforms. You can watch it on my, or listen to it, not watch it, listen to it on my website, spectrumrelationships.com or your platform of choice, but make sure you don't miss any of these great episodes. Today, I have part two of my interview with Mona and Manisa. They are both professionals in the neurodiverse relationship workspace. They have their own podcast, the Neurodiverse Love Podcast, which has had uh, thousands of downloads now. I've been a guest there, and I'm, I've been thrilled to have them here on this podcast. And if you missed their, the first episode with them, be sure and go back and listen to it. We talked a lot about, uh, in that episode, we talked about our own personal relationships in, in, with our spouses and partners, and uh, it was just a very good, real conversation about being in a neurodiverse relationship. And in today, in part two, we're going to talk about uh, how the current therapy models can really, really cause harm to neurodiverse relationships. It's something that I see quite a bit when you guys come to me and you ask me uh, in your Q&As on, on my, my video Q&As that I've done on YouTube in the past, in my Facebook group, or when you book consultations with me. I just hear it over and over again, and I've experienced it in my own relationship. Mona and Manisa both have experienced it themselves, and um, we're not uh, bashing our colleagues at all because we've been there as therapists ourselves and how it's uh, a very difficult uh, thing to be a therapist and to, to not have the tools and skills to understand neurodiversity and recognize it. And also... Uh, the therapeutic models are based on the language of emotion, which is a difficult language for so many people uh, on the spectrum. So today's episode is a conversation about that. So uh, stay tuned and listen up. You'd been to therapists who, who, who didn't know what to do other than to talk about the theories and didn't know how. And what I see when I reflect back, to all the therapies that, that we tried, what I know in my own training as, as a therapist, what I see is the common thread there is that therapy is an emotion-based mm -hmm. um, process. It's the language of emotion. When you go into a therapist for couples work, it's usually, mm -hmm. how are we feeling? What are, you know, let's talk about our needs, let's express our needs. And when you say that to an autistic woman or especially guy, 
no offense to the dudes out there, but you know, in, in the the world of emotion, not to say that men don't have emotions, don't experience it, but that's that's more of a you know, we as women, that's more of our our language anyway. Yeah. So you ask an autistic guy to start sharing and talking about emotions. And it's just like we're asking them to speak. And one of the analogies that I've started using recently, I love analogies, and, and it seems to be resonating with everybody. Is like, okay, you know, I took French in high school and I took a couple of semesters in college. So I know a few words. I, I know some basic words. And, you know, I've been watching this show lately that's in French. It's actually Astra. It's about an autistic woman. It's a really good show. But uh, I can sort of recognize some of the words in the subtitles, but I'm not fluent. I only know a few words. And I'm like, so that's what the language of emotion is like. They know a few words and they know some of it, but they're not fluent in emotion. You know, with autism, that's about extremes. So they're like at one extreme or the other. So we've got some people who are so fluent in emotion. And and a lot of times this is our, our women and some men. I, you know, I've seen it both ways really can experience those emotions, but not necessarily articulate it, which is where the language part comes in. So they're feeling the emotions, but they don't know how to translate what they're feeling into words and, and express it. And so you go into therapy and you ask them to start talking about their emotions. And it's just kind of like, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Well, I think that's really important. And something happened during one of our therapy sessions. Like I said, we went to three therapist and they were all male, three in person and then one online. So we actually went to four. But during one of our sessions, my ex said to the therapist, living with Mona is like being in a minefield. I never know what's going to set her off. And he was very like, very kind of stoic when he said that. Of course, I started crying. I'm like, this is the first time in 30 years I'm hearing this. And now a therapist who had expertise in ASD would have probably talked about what specifically is setting you off, Mona. And instead, it was all about my ex feeling the way that he did about me getting emotional. And so it became, it became all my fault. And now looking back through a neurodiverse lens, I was getting so emotional because our communication was so challenged. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've shared on the podcast is my ex didn't answer texts during the day because when he was at work, he compartmentalized, he needed to focus on work. And he said to me, if you absolutely need to reach me, he said, put a text or send me a text that says 911. And I thought to myself, that isn't even logical. 911 is, you know, you call 911 for an emergency. But now looking back, I realized he knew that he had to answer me if I said 911 in a text. He, in his head, that was an emergency. So if a therapist who understood ASD and neurodiverse relationships had heard that I would get upset and I would get angry because he didn't respond to my text, and that I had to say 911 for him to respond, it would have said, you know, how can we, you know, communicate during the day in a different way? You know, maybe we set up a schedule that we talk, you know, at lunchtime and then again at five o'clock or something. 
So we wouldn't have had that communication crisis. And then I wouldn't have screamed because he didn't respond to my text. And those kind of things that I know, Jody, if we'd come to you, you would have helped us create a different way of communicating. We would have hopefully reduced so much unintentional pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. and that's why I think the right therapist is critical. And what you said about um, understanding behaviors, even if somebody doesn't have experience with autism, but they have experience with helping people change their behaviors through changes in the strategies they use in their relationship, I think that can make a big difference too. Big yeah. Difference. yeah. Yeah. You know, oh gosh, what you were talking about, about the focus on your emotions, I can relate to that a lot in, in terms of of the therapy that we got because I actually see this when couples come to me because the neurotypical partner is used to the focus being on those emotions and there's some trauma there usually and there's fear there's fear both partners are usually fearful absolutely there, there's fear that I'm going to focus on the neurotypical partner's emotionality and then the the autistic partner is fearful that I'm going to focus on their autism as being the problem. Mm -hmm. So the autistic person's like, I, I don't want to be identified as the problem. And mm -hmm. the neurotypical partner is, I don't want to be the problem because I'm this neurotic, emotional being. <laughs> because that's what the therapy has done. Absolutely. And I can that's relate to that so much because this is how it looks when, as a coach with the clients I'm working with, my autistic Men especially, and, and the women too, look very stable emotionally. Yes. Because they don't get frustrated. They don't get animated. In, right. the, in the coaching sessions, they're just very calm. They don't get upset. The neurotypical partner starts to get upset and triggered and angry and cry and scream. Yeah. And, and the autistic partner's like, this is what I live with. You know, yeah, this is the crazy over here. Yeah. This is what I live with. I've seen that so many times now and I've lived it too. But when I was living it myself, it really did become about me and I did feel crazy and I did feel like, oh my God, you know, what it, it felt like I could, you know, I, I was losing my mind and, but you know, I remember, I remember a couple of situations where my ex-husband had done something that was really, really like there was a safety awareness issue and he had done something that was very unsafe and it terrified me. And, and our, our daughter, who was an infant at the time, her safety was at risk. My safety was at risk. And the therapist was walking us through this situation and he acknowledged that it was unsafe. And I had been so fearful and had had a, a very fearful response to it. And he acknowledged that it was unsafe. And so she asked him, of course, she was not neurodiverse aware. And we didn't know, you know, he was on the spectrum. And she asked him, what would you do differently next time? And I remember that he said, well, given the situation, I would do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember she just was like, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, we both just were floored. And I honestly, looking back at that, she had no idea what to do with that because 
he was clearly not this toxic, like narky, narcissistic type personality. But that type of answer seemed like it, but he wasn't. There was not a box to put. There was not like a, not that we put people in a box. That's not what I mean. But it didn't make any sense. Right. But it did to him. It did. And, and so the the question would be, you know, why did that make sense to him? And why did he not see that that was a safety issue? That Yeah, that's exactly what you I know? mean. It didn't make sense based on the. The, the models that we had that that she had as a therapist because she didn't understand neurodiversity right it but he was willing right was he being logical he or being very logical yes yeah. because he and i went through many other conversations later about similar situations where he had made decisions and then realized later it wasn't the the, the best choice but yet if you asked him how what would you do it differently he'd say i'd do it the same way because he's thinking linearly and he's like, well, if I was in that exact same situation, I would still be me and I would still have the same options and I would still do it the same way. Of course, I would still do it the same way. Right. And that makes total sense from a neurodiverse perspective. But she had no way of understanding that. And it was it was so. It was so confusing. Yeah, and damaging because. I believe one of the things that I, I had to attest to is that I could not practice out of my scope of competency. I had a situation where a child had a feeding issue and, you know, only, only an autistic child would only eat selective foods. So then you had to put them on what you call a feeding program. I could have literally damaged this child because that was not in my scope of competence. So then I had to go and find someone else who had experience in that background and they could help that child. I wish sometimes that the counseling field would take the same approach, that if you have not been trained, you cannot apply a cookie cutter approach to all relationships. And I know that being a certified relationship coach. What I would tell to neurotypicals is not something I would tell to a neurodiverse couple. But I've been in a, a, a therapist's office who did exactly that. They gave us a neurotypical template. We went home and we failed miserably. Mm -hmm. And the six weeks that we could have been making progress, our gap was getting wider and wider and wider. And... If there is anyone, I'll just go out there on the limb and say it, who is listening, who is practicing in this field, these are real people with real lives. And if you do not have the training, don't advertise that you can provide the help because it is very, very, very damaging. Maybe you're here today because you suspect your partner's autistic, or maybe you're autistic yourself, or maybe you just don't know, and you don't really know what to do next. And that's exactly what my basic consultation is for. I do offer assessments for individuals and couples, but if you're not ready for all of that, you can book a consultation appointment with me and we'll talk about your current situation, whether that's a relationship you're in, or if you're dating and, and single and, and don't really understand why your relationships don't ever work out, or maybe you can't even get them started, we'll talk about all of that. So 
Book a basic consultation appointment with me today and we'll get you some clarity. The link is in the description. I can't back that up enough. And honestly, all three of us have lived it. And I'm not going to say that you have to live it in order to really be able to, to help people. I know that it's certainly been a huge part of my training, being, being on the front line, you know, being in it has, has helped me a lot, but I, I do believe that you can learn to help people without having lived it. But I agree with Manisa that if you've just read a book or you've, you've known, you know, you've, you've had a friend whose kid was autistic or, you know, and we're, again, we're not here to judge the therapeutic community because mm -hmm. we're part of it. We're here to support you. We are here to support you. I, I have colleagues actually reaching out to me regularly. I have people contacting me on LinkedIn and on Facebook and emailing me and sending clients to me or asking me. And, and I tell my colleagues constantly, you know, if you need to consult with me, let's get on a Zoom call. And I do. I have people will, will get on calls and I'll walk them through working with clients that they have. And I would much rather them do that than just go at it alone because there's not enough of us out there. There are not enough of those of us who really understand neurodiverse relationships out there. And that's why you guys have your podcast. It's why I have so many free resources, my YouTube channel, the podcast of my own. There's just so much available that we've got. The AA&E, again, like Mona was saying, is a great resource. Reach out and, and try to get that training because I also want to emphasize that neurodiverse relationships are possible and there it is very possible for people to have fulfilling relationships. Manisa, you're still married. Yay. <laughs> and a grandma, Mona and I are not, but somebody has asked me, I've, I've been asked this several times, if I would date someone who's autistic and I, I absolutely would, yeah. you know? I, I would. I absolutely would. As a matter of fact, autism is so much a part of my world. I'm not sure I, I would know how to be with someone difficult, to be honest. Amen. I, I, yeah. you. I think every person that I have been with for more than one date is either autistic or has many, 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 many autistic traits. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, and they're very much a, an autistic profile. And I think, well... Two of the men that I have dated, they have children who are autistic. And, yeah, and they, that, that's really interesting that a lot of folks are finding out that they are probably autistic because their children are being diagnosed. Yeah. So here's something that I think would be interesting for therapists, whether they're marriage and family therapists or they're psychologists or they're social workers that are licensed to think about. When you're doing your initial assessment with a couple to find out if they have children and if they have children, if any of their children are neurodiverse, imagine if that was included in the assessment because chances are mm -hmm. if they have a child who is autistic, then one of the parents is too. Somebody's got traits, at least. Somebody's yes. got sensory stuff, executive functioning. Yes. You yes. know, there's there's at yes. least going to be some traits there, yes. and yes. that that is absolutely one of the the gateways of. That's why people find their way to me for sure. Uh, I even have grandparents that are retiring, and their grandchildren are being diagnosed. I do agree with you. That's a question to go onto the assessments. You know, do you have any children who've been diagnosed mm -hmm. with and even just, 
you know, learning disabilities, you know, what kind of learning, you know, are there sensory executive functioning, ADHD? Because there's a lot of, those are kind of the the first diagnoses. That a child may get before they get diagnosed as autistic. I know. And so one of the things that I, I really been thinking about is that children, my daughter's age and even, or young adults who are my daughter's age and folks that are younger than her, many of them may have been diagnosed with something when they were in school, but maybe not autism. And then they've lived their life with, with challenges and they've, you know, wondered why they didn't have so many friends or they couldn't make friends or they felt awkward or whatever. And they never get that autistic diagnosis, right? And then they have children and they're young, maybe still in their 30s or even early 40s and their child gets diagnosed and then they read the assessment of their child and they see themselves or they see their partners. And then what do they do? You know, that's one of the reasons that I started Neurodiverse Love and Jody, you're on the website, and of course, people can go to the podcast and they can hear your your episode. But now I probably have maybe 15 different folks who've been on the podcast who are therapists, coaches, or counselors, and people can go and listen to their episode and they can hear how they, you know, feel about neurodiversity and the work they do. And then they can go and reach out to them for help. And I think that's so important because I get, as I'm sure you do, Jody. I get emails or DMs on Instagram every single week from somebody who says, oh my gosh, I now know I'm in a neurodiverse relationship or my child just got diagnosed and I see my husband or I see my wife in that assessment. And, and you know, all those folks who were not diagnosed then have an opportunity to go back and kind of make sense of some of the things in their relationships that didn't make sense. And that caused tremendous challenges and pain and hurt and trauma. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's like multiple almost trajectories that people have to go through sometimes. They're going for counseling for their relationship with their romantic partner. And then their child may be going for services or therapy. And then the person who's, who's diagnosed or undiagnosed but feels they have autistic traits or they're on the spectrum, then they may want to go for counseling or coaching. Yeah, There's a lot that needs to be addressed for a lot of folks that are, you know, in neurodiverse relationships or find out they're neurodiverse. You're right. And it, it's such a process of those aha moments and yeah. then the the help and the deprogramming and the the processing of, oh, that's, you know, the the realizing, putting it all together of of this is what this has been and that's, oh, that's what that was. And I still have those moments still, you know, some memory will pop up for me about my marriage and I'm like, oh, you know, that's what that was. And as a matter of fact, I had a a moment like that this week. My son has been really sick this week with pneumonia. It's really crazy. And yeah, so I, I was explaining to his dad earlier on about the fact that the doctor had said, okay, He's on the meds, but you know, you need to use your intuition, mom, about whether or not he needs to go to the emergency room. And, and I was telling his dad about that and he's like, oh no, it's just viral. It just needs to run its course. And it occurred to me, I remembered all those years that, that he, he kind of thought I was an alarmist about things. And I, I realized that he could not relate 
to the, the, the intuition, the, the gut and the motherly intuition that I had when I knew something was real, you know, when I could just look at my child and just know that was a moment for me where I was like, he, he wasn't trying to minimize me or diminish me. He just literally didn't have that. That was kind of his theory of mind right. deficit where he couldn't even recognize how sick our kids were at times. He was just kind of going through, well, it's a virus. It needs to run its course. And that was a struggle for him. And I had that aha moment this week. I'm like, interesting. That was all those, all those years. But you were talking about the assessments and I actually do this really cool assessment for folks. So I can do a neurodiversity assessment. If somebody wants to know, Hey, am I on the spectrum? And what I do, it's, it's all for personal use only because of licensure laws. I can't like give people a clinical diagnosis. Yes, I'm trained. Yes, can I'm qualified, but I'm not licensed in every single state in the United States. Right, right. That would be prohibited. But so it's for personal use. <clears throat> so I can do that for, for an individual. But what is really cool, and couples love this, is I do a comprehensive relationship evaluation where I actually assess both partners. And I, I, I assess them both using an autism assessment. I use the AQI just for kind of a screening. And we, we, we get their scores, but we also look at the responses. And then I look at executive functioning, even if somebody says, well, I don't have any issues. I'm like, well, let's look at it anyway. And we look at sensory. I do the sensory profile on them and then also a personality assessment. And then what we do is we put them side by side and it really, it's, it's so visual and it helps them to see where they are relative to each other. And so the focus is not on somebody, like the one partner being the problem or the one that's the, the divergent, you know, the neurodivergent, the one partner that this is you, you're the problem, you're the one that's in the wrong. But we just look at, here's where you are and here's where you are. And this is how far apart you are in how your brain is working and, or how your personalities are. And so let's talk about how this is affecting your relationship. And it's it. the coolest thing. It breaks it down into so many different subsets. And and, and they, they're just, all these light bulbs start going off for them. Judy, it's so awesome. And you know what? I, I've said this to my daughter. She's in a relationship with her girlfriend. And I said, you know, there's one thing that I wish your daddy and I had done. And I wish we had gone to a counselor who really understood our different personalities and the way we thought and whatever, and done something like what you're talking about and taught us how to communicate, even, you know, we didn't know we were neurodiverse, how to communicate when one person is very logical and rational and the other's a more emotional and feeling person and, you know, how to parent and how to socialize with others and all these things. I mean, because we would have been, I think, a better couple. Mm-hmm. And I know in a lot of churches, um, it's required before you get married to go for, you know, premarital counseling. And for those out there that are doing premarital counseling to be able to maybe have some experience and knowledge about neurodiversity, because I think there's an opportunity to set couples up for success when they understand that their differences can be complementary when they learn strategies on how to communicate and understand each other better. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, it, it is a passion and a mission. There are too many couples that are, are struggling. 
So that concludes part two of my interview with Mona and Manisa, and I so appreciate them being here today. And I want to add that if you are one of those couples that's really struggling, or if you're an individual partner, maybe you are autistic or you're not sure, or you're a neurotypical partner and you think your your partner is autistic or you know, you don't have to do this alone anymore. I have resources for you in my program. Visit us online at spectrumrelationships.com. Visit my YouTube channel, Neurodiverse Relationship Coach, or just Google my name, Jody Carlton, to find all of my videos there. At the time of this recording, I think there's close to 80 videos there. But I also have a video library that you can access as well that has even more, close to 100 coaching videos and training videos about neurodiverse relationships that so many people have just found to be a valuable resource. You can also apply for direct coaching with me. And to, the best way to start with that is through a, a consultation. And that's uh, where we, we'll talk about what's going on with you and the questions you have and, and the best options that I have available for you. And the methods that I use a co- as a coach are very different than what you've experienced in counseling. I use a very different approach and different modalities that actually work for neurodiverse couples. So if you're interested in that, just visit me online, choose the option to book an appointment and then select the option to book a consultation. And if you have any questions at all, you can contact us through our contact form on the page. There's a number there that you can text. You can email us, lots of ways to get in touch with us. You can even call and leave a message and my support team will get back to you. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to subscribe so that you won't miss any of these podcast episodes. We have some really great interviews coming up that that we've already recorded with some neurodiverse folks and neurotypical partners. And if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, be sure to click the link in the description of this podcast to fill out the form to let us know that you're interested and my support team will be in touch with you soon. Until next time.